Hello, this is a public service announcement from the In His Holy Name Ministry. We want to address the issue of hate crimes associated with the LGBT community. As followers of Christ, we believe that every person is made in the image of God and deserves love and respect. Discrimination and violence against the LGBT community is not acceptable. We urge all listeners to stand against hate crimes and to actively work towards creating a world where every person is treated with dignity and respect. Let us remember that love is the greatest commandment and that we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. If you or someone you know has been a victim of a hate crime, please report it to the authorities and seek support from local organizations and resources. Thank you for listening. Let us continue to pray for love, peace, and justice for all. Give me that old-time religion. Old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. Give me that old-time religion. Old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It will do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old time. I thought about originally calling this episode out of Africa, the biblical origins of race and the KKK. But it more than that. It's about the ideology of hate. The American rise in racist violence, the intimidation of immigrants, attacks on the LBGT community and the abuse of religious minorities, has shocked many Americans into recognizing the desperate problems of our age. Hate. Once one has identified the problem one can't help to progress your thinking, and naturally in doing so one cannot help but include the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan embodies their racist ideology alongside their particular brand of Protestantism and nationalism. The Klan promotes religious and racial intolerance. The Klan is about nationalism and their version Protestant Christianity, to promote white supremacy. The Klan in recent decades, epitomizes an American white supremacist, right-wing terrorist, and hate group whose primary targets are African Americans, Hispanics, Jews, Latinos, Asian Americans, Native Americans, and Catholics, as well as immigrants, leftists, homosexuals, Muslims, atheists, and abortion providers. The American flag, the hood and robe, and the burning cross were and are their misappropriated symbols of choice. 
The Klan only accepts those people they feel are qualified as truly American, only white Protestants. Their propaganda takes on a life and ideology of extreme patriotism, growing into ethnic hatred and violence. In the form of aggressive, even warlike action. Against anyone they considered unlike themselves. The organization's fierce religious bigotry and xenophobia appealed to millions of Americans in the 1920s at its peak. Since its beginning three separate clans have existed in three non-overlapping time periods. Each comprised of local chapters with little or no central direction. The first clan was originally formed as a secret society by a group of Confederate veterans in Pulaski, Tennessee, in 1865. These Confederate veterans used terrorism, both physical assault and murder, against politically active black people and their allies in the southern United States in the late 1860s. The name Ku Klux Klan is derived from the Greek word kiklos, meaning circle, and the Scottish word clan, which was used to refer to a group of people with a common ancestry or interest. The second period of the clan originated in the late 1910s, and was the first to use cross burnings and hooded robes. The KKK of the 1920s had a nationwide membership in the millions and reflected a cross-section of the native-born white population. The third clan formed in the late 20th century largely as a reaction to the growing civil rights movement. It committed murders and bombings to achieve its aims. All three movements have called for the purification of American society, and are all considered far-right extremist organizations. In each era, membership was secret and estimates of the total are believed to highly exaggerated by both friends and enemies. The third and current manifestation of the KKK emerged after 1950, in the form of localized and isolated groups that use the KKK name. They have focused on opposition to the civil rights movement, often using violence and murder to suppress activists. This third manifestation of the KKK is classified as a hate group by the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center. As of 2016, the Anti-Defamation League puts total KKK membership nationwide at around 3,000. While the Southern Poverty Law Center puts it at 6,000 members total. The third, like the second incarnation of the Ku Klux Klan made frequent references to a false mythologized perception of America's Anglo-Saxon blood, hearkening back to 19th century nativism. Although members of the KKK swear to uphold Christian morality, Christian denominations widely denounce them. The Ku Klux Klan or KKK considers itself to be a Christian organization because they claim to follow the teachings of the Bible. The KKK often uses Christian symbols and language in their propaganda, such as the cross. And they use phrases like, white Christian America. However, many Christians and Christian organizations strongly condemn the KKK's actions and beliefs as they are considered to be contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ, such as love, compassion, and equality. The Ku Klux Klan claims to follow a biblical foundation by interpreting the Bible in a way that supports their beliefs and actions. They believe that white people are superior and that God created races to be separate and not equal. They use Bible verses out of context to support their ideology, 
such as using the story of the Tower of Babel to justify racial segregation and claiming that interracial marriage goes against God's plan for humanity. The KKK's belief is that God made white people superior is based on a twisted interpretation of the Bible. They often point to passages such as Genesis chapter 9, verses 25 through 27, where Noah curses his son Ham and his descendants, saying they will be servants of servants to their brothers Shem and Japheth. The KKK interprets this curse as a justification for the subjugation and enslavement of black people, who they misguidedly believe are the descendants of Ham. If one with any scholarly attempt to understand the Bible from a Christian perspective took a hard look at this they would see their example fallible. Let me give you something to start with, biblically speaking, so you can understand the black and white of race. Genesis chapter 5 lists the descendants of Adam through Noah, Ham's father. From Adam to Ham there are eleven generations of direct ancestry, meaning father to son. And if we are focusing in on Ham and his genealogy we need to also look at the Garden of Eden. The location of Eden is described in the book of Genesis as the source of four tributaries. Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 through 14 says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted, and became four heads. The name of the first is Pishon, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good, there is delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gion, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, that is it which goeth toward the east of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Scholarly suggestions for the location of the Garden of Eden include the head of the Persian Gulf, as argued by Jurisurans, in southern Mesopotamia, now Iraq and Kuwait, where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers run into the sea, and in the Armenian highlands or Armenian National Plateau. A British archaeologist has a slightly different location based on his academic findings. David Roll locates it in Iran, and in the vicinity of Tabriz. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not familiar a pure white race originating in these regions. If this is correct, and I think it is, then Adam through Ham are not of a pure white race, if their skin tone was pale or dark, it wasn't a 100% of either. And the Bible never speaks of actual skin color. But let's not stop here. Let's continue to look into Ham's curse. In the book of Genesis, the curse of Ham is described as a curse which was imposed upon Ham's son Canaan by the patriarch Noah. The curse occurs in the context of Noah's drunkenness and it is provoked by a shameful act which was perpetrated by Noah's son Ham, who saw the nakedness of his father. The exact nature of Ham's transgression and the reason Noah cursed Canaan when Ham had sinned has been debated for over 2000 years. The story's original purpose may have been to justify the biblical subjection of the Canaanites to the Israelites, but in later centuries, the narrative was interpreted by some Christians, Muslims, and Jews as an explanation for black skin, as well as a justification for the slavery of black-skinned people. Similarly, some in the Latter-day Saint movement used the curse of Ham to prevent the ordination of black men to its priesthood. This seems more like creating scripture, and God, in our image and not his. Nevertheless, most Christians, Muslims, and Jews now disagree with such interpretations, 
because in the biblical text, Ham himself is not cursed, and race or skin color is never mentioned. This concept of the curse of Ham finds its origins in Genesis 9. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. The objective of this scripture may have been to justify the subject status of the Canaanites, the descendants of Ham, to the Israelites, the descendants of Shem. The narrative of the curse does come with some difficulties. It is uncertain what the precise nature of Ham's offense is. Verse 22 has been a subject of debate, as to whether it should be taken literally, or as, a euphemism for some act of gross immorality. In verse 25, Noah refers to Shem and Japheth as the brethren of Canaan, whereas in verse 18 they are identified as his uncles. The table of nations presents Canaan and Mizraim, in Egypt, among the sons of Ham. In the Psalms, Egypt is equated with Ham. In truth scholars have debated the exact nature of Ham's misdeed. It is noteworthy that the curse of Canaan was made by Noah, not by God. It's this curse the clan uses as its foundation for its raciest Christian ideology. Some biblical scholars claim that when a curse is made by a man, it can only be effective if God supports it. There is no biblical evidence that the curse of Ham and his descendants was confirmed by God as it is not mentioned in the Bible. And the ideologically driven misconception of condoned slavery stemming from this curse is an attempt at blasphemy that is against everything that the Christian religion stands for. While Genesis 9 never says that Ham was black, or his descendants were black, he became associated with black skin through folk etymology, deriving his name from a similar, but actually unconnected, word meaning dark or brown. History shows that with the emergence of the slave trade, this racialized version justified the exploitation of African labor. In the parts of Africa where Christianity flourished in its early days, while Christianity was still illegal in Rome, this idea never took hold, and its interpretation of scripture was therefore never adopted by the African Coptic churches. A modern Amharic commentary on Genesis cites the 19th century theory and the earlier European theory which state that blacks were subjected to whites as a result of the curse of Ham. This belief is a false teaching which is unsupported by the text of the Bible. It emphatically points out that Noah's curse did not fall upon all of the descendants of Ham, instead, it only fell upon the descendants of Canaan, and it asserts that the curse was fulfilled when Canaan was occupied by Semites and Japhetites. 
The commentary further notes that Canaanites ceased to exist as a political force after the Third Punic War in 149 BC and as a result, their current descendants are unknown and are also scattered among all peoples. Support of biblical white supremacy and slavery over non-whites can only be supported by a false ideology. But let's not just look at the biblical evidence let's see if science can support white supremacy, they need all the help they can get. And if we choose to follow the science there is evidence that our species, Homo sapiens, originated in Africa by about 200,000 years ago. The out-of-Africa model and the, the multi-regional model are commonly used to explain the evolution of the different races. The out-of-Africa model is currently the most widely accepted model. It proposes that Homo sapiens evolved in Africa before migrating across the world. The, the multi-regional model proposes that the evolution of Homo sapiens took place in a number of places over a long period of time. The intermingling of the various populations eventually led to the single Homo sapiens species we see today. This area of research remains very active. The current genomic evidence supports a single, out-of-Africa migration of modern humans rather than the, the multi-regional model. Truth be told there is more genetic diversity in Africa compared with the rest of the world put together. The highest levels of genetic variation in humans are found in Africa. The origin of modern DNA in the mitochondria, the powerhouses, of our cells, has been traced back to just one African woman who lived between 50,000 and 500,000 years ago. She is known as Mitochondrial Eve. Our genomes are a combination of DNA from both our mother and father. However, mitochondrial DNA comes solely from our mother. This is because the female egg contains large amounts of mitochondrial DNA, whereas the male sperm contains just a tiny amount. The sperm use their small amount of mitochondria to power their race to their egg before fertilization. Once a sperm merges with an egg, all the sperm mitochondria are destroyed. As a result, mitochondrial DNA is described as being matrilineal, meaning only the mother's side survives from generation to generation. So, your mitochondrial DNA is almost exactly the same as your mother's and her mother's and so on. Mitochondrial Eve wasn't the first or only woman on Earth at that time. She was simply the point from which all modern generations of humans, as we now understand, appear to have evolved. Evolutionary biologists think the most likely reason for this is that an evolutionary bottleneck occurred during the time Eve was alive. This is when the majority of a species suddenly dies out, perhaps due to a sudden catastrophe, bringing it to the brink of extinction. If mitochondrial Eve was one of the few women to survive then this could explain why her matrilineal mitochondrial DNA ended up being passed along so many generations. What about the father's DNA? Similarly, DNA from the Y chromosome is only passed on from fathers to sons and an evolutionary tree relating all present-day male individuals also supports the out-of-Africa model. And if we follow this line of thinking, based on science, the white race was born from an African woman and an African male. Well that shoots a hole in white purity, doesn't it? Most people associate Africans with dark skin. 
But different groups of people in Africa have almost every skin color on the planet, from deepest black in the Dinka of South Sudan, to beige in the San of South Africa. The palette of race traces the evolution of these genes and how they traveled around the world. While the dark skin of some Pacific Islanders can be traced to Africa, gene variants from Eurasia also seem to have made their way back to Africa. Hence we all came out of Africa. No pure white race here. It's not surprising to find some of the mutations responsible for lighter skin in Europeans have an ancient African origin. And when it comes to the science of race, science does not support the concept of race. The reason there is no race purity is due to the continued genetic intermixing of populations that results from constant migrations which has taken place all throughout human history. The constant movement of people has resulted in very blurry genetic lines between groups, stemming from our original African parents. Race is a social construct, explain the scientists. Race, according to the scientists, is a social construct that is derived from people self-identifying with races based on physical appearance. Furthermore, there is no genetics-based support for claiming one group is superior to another, which is further supported by the research. If we just look at color as color, meaning light. Simply the colors of black and white the story unfolds further. The science of light tells us that black is the absence of color and is therefore not a color. And white is the blending of all colors and in respect is a color. Fact. The sum of all the colors of light add up to white. This is additive color theory. And if we apply additive color theory to the hate ideology of white being superior to black, we find an ironic truth. Those considered of black skin tone are pure with no taint of color. It's the white-skinned people who are impure, filled with a blending of all color. Based on this it's the white-skinned people who are the impure race and no other. Zinger. Again proof white supremacy isn't supreme. Seems like this brand of clan racism. It's misguided Protestantism, this religious and racial intolerance has no biblical or scientific support to hold water. Only their ignorance and arrogance to deny the truth. The Bible does not specifically mention or count the number of white people within its pages. It also doesn't count black-skinned people, or any other color of skin as a matter of fact. The concept of race as we know it today did not exist at the time, and as we have stated. It's a social construct of our culture. When the Bible was written people were classified according to their nationality or tribe rather than their skin color. What the Bible does teach is that all, and I emphasize all, human beings are created in the image of God and are equal in His eyes, regardless of their ethnicity or background. The claim that God intended for races to be separate and not equal isn't biblical at all. Mainstream Christian denominations and scholars reject these interpretations as racist and contrary to the fundamental interpretations and teachings of the Bible as professed by such groups as the KKK. And although the numbers of the KKK are relatively low it has given birth to a new dimension of hate groups, a broad coalition of extremists including neo-Nazis, antisemites and militias have became the new face of hate. 917. 
That's the number of hate groups operating in the U.S., according to data from the Southern Poverty Law Center. The FBI doesn't keep track of domestic hate groups so the Southern Poverty Law Center numbers are the gold standard. And these 917 groups aren't just whites hating blacks. Whites hating Jews, blacks hating whites, straights hating LGBT. The list continues to diversify. The common denominator is hate. If only love. We're as contagious as hate. The election of our 45th president has added to the ideology of Christian hate supremacy. Only the blind won't see this truth. One just has to look back on recorded history. His rhetoric has included him calling for a total and complete shutdown of all Muslims entering the United States. Sounds a little like xenophobia to me. If one looks with open eyes they will see a pattern emerge. He once addressed the Republican Jewish coalition calling himself a negotiator like you folks. One of many Jewish stereotypes the Manhattan real estate mogul dropped throughout his speech. And then there was the time that he told John Art O'Donnell, the former president of Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino, I have black guys counting my money. I hate it. According O'Donnell's account in his 1991 book, Trumped. The only guys I want counting my money are short guys that wear yarmulkes all day. He kicked off his presidential campaign on from the Trump Tower in Manhattan, where he began his raciest ideology for president with his comments about immigration. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. He then further said at his campaign announcement. But I speak to border guards and they tell us what we're getting. And it only makes common sense. It only makes common sense. They're sending us not the right people. It's coming from more than Mexico. It's coming from all over South and Latin America, and it's coming probably, probably, from the Middle East. But we don't know. Because we have no protection and we have no competence, we don't know what's happening. And it's got to stop and it's got to stop fast. During an episode on right-wing TV he told Fox and Friends, I'm leading in the polls with the Hispanics. I mean, you look at Nevada, I'm leading in the polls with the Hispanics because I produce jobs, and they know it. I have thousands of Hispanics that work for me, my relationships to Hispanics is better than those groups. Following blowback from his comments regarding Mexican immigrants and rapists, 45 sought to tamp down the controversy with comments to entertainment tonight. I don't have a racist bone in my body, the fact that I want a strong border and the fact that I don't want illegal immigrants pouring into this country, that doesn't make me a racist, it means I love this country and I want to save this country. Of course he isn't a racist. He proved that fact when an African-American man, Randall Pinkett, won the fourth season of his NBC show, The Apprentice, as evidence he is quoted to have said that he was the least racist person there is. He spoke it, so it must be true. He again proved his racial bias as seen in a Time magazine profile published in January 1989, when he was asked to give an estimate of his total wealth. Who the F knows? I mean, really, 
Who knows how much the Japs will pay for Manhattan property these days. And yes he was using a racial slur when referring to the Japanese. In a September 1990 Vanity Fair article, the press's obsession with his soon-to-be ex-wife Ivana, quoted him in which he summed up his divorce in a as. When a man leaves a woman, especially when it was perceived that he has left for a piece of ass, a good one. There are 50% of the population who will love the woman who was left. Later in a New York Magazine profile published in November 1992, a year after he divorced his first wife, Ivana, he was quoted dispensing his wisdom about how to handle the fairer sex. You have to treat M like shit, he said in the article to friend Philip Johnson, who responded, you'd make a good mafioso. Yes, he is a mafioso. The mafioso of misogyny. And we've all heard about his adulterous coupling with porn star Stormy Daniels. And the separate, gone public, comment, grab M by the pussy. And who can forget the front of St. John's Church on June 1, 2020, during the Black Lives Matter protest when he awkwardly fumbled with the Bible for a photo opportunity. He looked so comfortable didn't he? And the true Christian that he has signed a Bible brought to the White House for him to autograph shortly after his public Bible fumble. Which then hit the market shortly after for the asking price of $37,500. According to reports, the identity of the buyer of the signed Bible was not publicly disclosed. Makes me wonder if it was a KKK member. His bigotry, his misrepresentation of the Christian faith, and his lack of respect for women has been a serial disgrace time after time. And it still continues today. His followers loyal to fault likened to a cult-like attitude. How has America allowed this hate to happen? What we do know is that white evangelicals voted at a rate of 81% for a president who fueled his political career on birtherism, demagoguery, and violent rhetoric. Yes, I'm speaking of former President Donald John Trump. We witnessed key leaders of the evangelical fold justify the president's severe and immoral policies with surprising ease. A 2016 analysis of the political alignments of U.S. religious groups broke down the following. Those who supported Republican candidates in recent elections, such as white born-again or evangelical Christians, and white Catholics, also strongly supported Donald Trump. Groups that traditionally backed Democratic candidates, including religious, knowns, Hispanic Catholics and Jews, continued to do so. White Catholics also supported Trump by a wide, 23-point margin, 60% to 37%. Trump's strong support among white Catholics propelled him to a seven-point edge among Catholics overall, 52% to 45%, despite the fact that Hispanic Catholics backed Clinton over Trump by a 41-point margin, 67% to 26%. Like Hispanic Catholics, religious, knowns, and Jews were strong Clinton supporters. Indeed, nearly 7 in 10 religious, knowns, voted for Clinton, as did 71% of Jews. Most people who identify with faiths other than Christianity or Judaism also favored Clinton over Trump, 62% to 29%. In the end America voted in a bigot and racist, and an allying Christian charlatan, it's not like he got that way after the election as he proved his colors decades prior. People knew who they were voting for.
his actions have only glamorized the hate. Has America come out of the closet and adopted a similar attitude as the KKK? It's not all Trump's fault I admit. He, the KKK, the radicalized right are just symptoms of the disease. The examples are endless. Unfortunately intoxicating for some, and infectious to others. Providing an ideology of hate and superiority over others. Be sure that Satan is at work here. If we open our hearts, mind, and eyes we can see the bitter truth. God gave us free will. And we seem to be making our choices. According to the Catholic Church Catechism paragraphs 391 through 393, it tells us Satan rejected God and his divine plan for him and the angels. Satan and his followers were cast out of heaven for their rebellion. God permitted Satan and his demonic minions to stay on earth and test man. God gave man free will to follow him, or not. As a whole, society seems to be turning more toward Satan and farther from God. To be clear, God does not abandon mankind to Satan and his demonic brethren. But we have to choose who we follow. We are allowed who to follow. Some have made their choice. What will be your choice? While God allows the devil to be active on earth, he doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves, nor will he. He has never abandoned us, nor will he ever. He sent his son as the redeemer and savior of all mankind. He taught us how to live his law. But have we? Can we? Yes. But will we? Jesus never abandons a lost sheep. Although a sheep may definitively choose to reject Christ along his or her life, he is also free to accept Christ at any time. Satan's reign will definitively end at Jesus' second coming. Satan does have a certain dominion over the world. The devil seeks to undermine us and right now it seems that he has taken the reins and has risen up through these hate groups by perverting the interpretation of scripture and promoting his influence to the public. Sacred Scripture Speaks Of His Second Coming Jesus indicated that various signs will mark the event. Mankind would suffer from famine, pestilence, and natural disasters. False prophets who claim to be the Messiah will deceive and mislead people. Nations will wage war against each other. We are told that the church will endure persecution. Worse yet, the faith of many will grow cold and they will actually abandon the faith, even betraying and hating one another. Saint Paul describes a mass apostasy before the second coming, which will be led by the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, the adversary who exalts himself above every so-called god proposed for worship. This lawless one is part of the work of Satan, and with power, signs, wonders, and seductions will bring to ruin those who have turned from the truth. However, the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and annihilate him by manifesting his own presence. The Catechism affirms, God's triumph over the revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. Our Lord will come suddenly. The Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning that flashes from one end of the sky to the other, Luke chapter 17, verse 24. Saint Peter predicts, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and on that day the heavens will vanish with a roar, 
the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and all its deeds will be made manifest, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Death will be no more. The dead shall rise and those souls who have died will be united again to their bodies. All will have a glorious, transformed, spiritualized body as St. Paul said. He will give a new form to this lowly body of ours and remake it according to the pattern of his glorified body Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. At this time, the final, or general judgment will occur. Jesus said, Those who have done right shall rise to life, the evildoers shall rise to be damned John chapter 5, verse 29. Our Lord described this judgment as follows, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, escorted by all the angels of heaven, he will sit upon his royal throne and all the nations will be assembled before him. Then he will separate them into two groups. As a shepherd separated sheep from goats Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 32. Here each person will have to account for his conduct and the deepest secrets of his soul will come to light. How well each person has responded to the prompting of God's grace will be made clear. Our attitude and actions toward our neighbor will reflect how well we have loved our Lord. As often as you did it for one of my least brothers, you did it for me, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Our Lord will judge us accordingly. For those who have died and already have faced the particular judgment, their judgment will stand. Those living at the time of the second coming will receive judgment. Those who have rejected the Lord in this life, who have sinned mortally, who have no remorse for sin and do not seek forgiveness, will have condemned themselves to hell for all eternity. By rejecting grace in this life, one already judges oneself, receives according to one's works and can even condemn oneself for all eternity by rejecting the spirit of love, Catechism, number 678. The souls of the righteous will enter heavenly glory and enjoy the beatific vision and those who need purification will undergo it. We do not know when the second coming will occur. Jesus said, as to the exact day or hour, no one knows it, neither the angels in heaven nor even the Son, but only the Father. Be constantly on the watch. Stay awake. You do not know when the appointed time will come Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 33. So we understand both science and scripture has debunked the KKK mentality of Christianity. Jesus' teachings are the truth. Even Satan knows that. That's why he perverts his teachings and intern us. Jesus does not support an ideology of hate. Our faith is an outward sign of an inner commitment. Remember, do unto others. This is Father Chris, reminding each of us to act justly, love with mercy, and walk humbly with God. for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good.
will do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. And it's good enough for me. Oh. Give me that old time. about Maestina Gravis, a rare and often misunderstood neuromuscular autoimmune disease. You may have noted that many of the independent Catholic broadcasts have been voiced over. This is because I have Maestina Gravis, and it sometimes affects my speech, vision, breathing, upper and lower extremity strength, as well as my swallowing vacillating my fatigue and endurance. Because of this, I often have to resort to a voiceover. As a priest, a registered nurse, and a member of this community, I feel a responsibility to raise awareness about this condition, to offer support to those who are living with it. Myasthenia gravis is a rare chronic condition that affects the muscles responsible for movement and breathing, voluntary muscles. It causes weakness, fatigue, and difficulty with daily tasks such as walking, speaking, swallowing, even breathing. While the cause of this disease is not fully understood, it's believed to be a result of a breakdown in communication between the nerves and muscles and the neuromuscular junction. It's often called the snowflake disease because the symptoms can vary from person to person as well as the severity of those symptoms. And each day can be vastly different than the last. What is particularly concerning about myasthenia gravis is that it is often misdiagnosed or overlooked. The symptoms can be subtle and may mimic other conditions. This can lead to delays in treatment and unnecessary, un, see, this is where it comes into play with the words, unnecessary suffering for those affected by this disease. It can even take years of work in workups to get a diagnosis. Took me over three years, actually. That's why I urge you to take note of the signs and symptoms of myasthenia gravis. If you or a loved one is experiencing unexplained muscle weakness, drooping eyelids, or difficulty speaking or swallowing, please seek medical attention right away. Early diagnosis and treatment can make a significant difference in managing this condition. To those of you who are living with myasthenia gravis, I want you to know you're not alone. There are resources available to help you manage your symptoms and to live a full and meaningful life. I encourage you to seek out support from your healthcare providers, family, 
and friends. Let's come together as a community to raise awareness and support those affected by myasthenia gravis. And let's do it with knowledge and compassion because we can make a difference in the lives of those suffering from this chronic disease. June is Myasthenia Gravis Awareness Month, but we should be aware of it every day. May God bless you all. Father Christ.